So today our guest was David Oakley. Now David's a local Birmingham guy who has created a multi-million dollar real estate company, the Oakley Group. So they take some homes and it's a very, very dis different concept. You will go through his journey through going through this and being involved in business and making these monstrous deals to first marriage, second marriage, and now just totally loving life and what God's doing in his life. So I know you're gonna enjoy uh, my conversation with David Oakley. David, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So David, I want you to give me the 30 second elevator version of who you are and then we can dive right in there. 30 seconds, okay. North Alabama, I'm from Florence, Alabama. Okay. Um, son of a school teacher and an electrician, um, Steve in Georgia, Oakley, and, um, and moved to Birmingham on a scholarship to Sanford University in the, the, the big year of 1999. Right. And uh, studied accounting at Sanford and then found my way into real estate. So now we, you know, I'm all multifamily uh, development in real estate. I've got three kids, a four-year-old, two-year-old, and a six-month-old, and married a girl from my hometown. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Hey, hand, go ahead and hand me that. Thank you. Is that 30 seconds? That's perfect. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. It's not a lifesaver. Lifesaver. Hi. It's a Monday. I just need a little pick-me-up. You good? Mm-hmm. All right. That's great. You still, we still good, Luke? Oh, yeah, we're all Okay. So, so real estate. <laughs> so talk, tell me about this. When you talk about real estate, it's so broad. What do you do in that? And the second question is, why does it matter? Gosh, that's a good question. And I actually love how you use your hands when you ask questions. Okay because that means you're really into it. I'm a, I'm a, I use my hands a lot when I yeah. talk. Um, so what do I do uh, real estate-wise? So I, I live and breathe multifamily. Okay. When I came out of school at Sanford and I was an intern with Harbert yeah. in 2002, um, you know, I thought multifamily was sort of like the used car sales business or something. I thought it was a little greasy, like, you know, what, what's up with that? A little greasy, you know, and I was like, you know, I mean, I went to public school system, you know, I mean, I, I kind of seen a lot, did a lot, you know, before I got to Sanford and sure. Sanford felt a little bit like a culture shock for me the other way around because I was used to more school teacher electrician life. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so when I was trying to, me and my small brain thinking about multifamily, I thought it was, I didn't know what to think about it. So as the layers continued to peel off and I learned more about multifamily, it was very, it was just, it was as sophisticated as you wanted to make it. So. Yeah. Um, institutional funds and REITs and on and on down to the mom and pop. So what do I do? In the beginning, I, as an intern, I learned how to cold call and call on owners typically mom and pops and and i was calling to see if they would entertain an offer to sell their property because i worked for a brokerage company okay uh that was my introduction in there's several ways into multifamily which we'll talk about later but yeah. i came in through the way of an internship on the investment sales side so higher level a lot higher level than like owning a 10-unit apartment complex i mean it, it yeah i guess you could say it's higher level more of seeing the whole stage you know not being on the stage um sure. you know not not owning and going to lowe's home depot like i was really seeing it from the outsider looking in like why do these people own it and what wh why do they want to continue to hold how do you establish a value for it like i was right. all those questions filled my mind as i learn more and more about it. So, so really that, that translated into a, about a 20 year uh, career in brokerage. Right. Um, and then, and then now I've, I've, I've in 2020, I transitioned into ownership full time and development. Okay. Um, 
you know, why do I do it? Yeah. Um, man, I mean, I love people. You know, right. if you go to our website, which is oakleygroup.com, it'll, it'll say, um, we love apartments because people live there. Yeah. And I always tell people, like, what's the real asset in multifamily? Mm-hmm. If you think about it, yeah. is it the roof structure? Is it, is it the plumbing, electrical? No, it's the people. Yeah. Because if you don't have the people, if you don't have uh, a rent roll and, and, and the people don't live there, then you have no asset. No. I mean, that's the lifeblood of, sure. of, of a community are the people. And that's, I always go back to, you know, Jesus was a carpenter. And like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I want to feel like, you know, like he, I feel like he probably was framing homes for mm-hmm. people to live in. That's good. And so I, I, I just, I, I love that part of, of what we do. Yeah. Okay. So take me back to North Alabama. You got a mom that's a teacher, just like me. Mm-hmm. Mom and dad were both teachers and coaches. And you had dad that's an electrician. Yeah. So tell me about growing up, what you were into. Because a lot of times people can't relate to a guy that owns a multifamily syndication and, and all these. All these okay. Tell me about growing up. What was what was that like so that people can get an understanding of where you came from? Yeah. Well, mom and dad are both just beautiful people inside and out. And, and they just, you know, we, we came home. I've got one older brother, 18 months older than me. Okay. And I was five. He was seven. And we came home one day, and Mom sat in the driveway. We had a, a little two-car garage. She kind of stopped in the driveway. I'll never forget. And she sort of paused, and she said, Hey, guys, just want you to know, uh, Dad's not going to come home for a while. And they got a divorce. Mm. And that just really sunk in. And that really was a turning point for me where I was like, Man, um, i got to do something about this. You know, and, it, and then it became you know, child support and, sure. you know, we, we didn't grow up with a lot of extra money. So yeah. it was, it was constantly, um, you know, struggle over money and, and paying the bills and all that. So I, I always wanted to help solve a problem. That's just mm-hmm. kind of how, how I made. And, um, so I always, I had a yard business growing up early, early age. I vacuumed cars. We had a, one of those built in vacuum systems in your home you know yeah, i mean our yeah, house yeah. is built in like 78 81 and dad built it uh with a local builder and so he was smart enough to put a built in <laughs> and so i'd hook up my mom's teacher friends would come over from the elementary school and i'd vacuum their cars for five bucks and so i was always trying to produce and help sure. and saw, solve the issue of money when you did that did you use that money and like i got an 11 year old 11 year old's wants to pressure wash and make money. And we sit there the other night for 30 minutes on Canva making a flyer. And so when you brought, made that money, did you give it to mom or did you use it? Like, tell me, tell me like, were you looking to go grow the business or like, give me some, some thoughts there. Um, I didn't give it to mom or dad. Um, I would, I would pay for some of my own things. Sure, and yeah. we, I did travel soccer and that would, that would help with that. And then I hired some buddies in high school and then, you know, they, they'd, they'd go buy you know, beer money for them and date and date money for them. We'd yeah. go to the movie theater, but you know, I was always trying to upgrade and go to the next level. So mm-hmm. I remember when we got to a point where, where, um, our, our little, 20 inch riding mower wasn't enough that's right and we had to go upgrade and i was like i called dad up i was like hey i found i shopped shopped around i said i found this great 36 inch cut three blade riding mower mtd at walmart Mm -hmm. and he's like son i just can't afford it i'm not i just and it just crushed me yeah i was like how many other kids who are 12 13 14 are going to their parents and asking for a loan or to help me do more work right. like in this in this fashion 
But at the same time, it taught me a lesson because that, if he had said yes, it had made it easier. Sure. And so by him, with him saying no, I, I uh, unpacked this term called layaway. Nice. I have not. And, a, and the, and the pe- other people in the room are in their 20s. So they don't even know what the term layaway means. Listen, it's one of the best things that the Walton family did for it me. It is. And Mom, we grew up on layaway. And I mean, I was able to go in there on layaway and buy that mower. And it was incredible. And that led to getting a trailer to pull behind my 1991 Jeep Cherokee Laredo That's that right. my dad did buy for me. Yeah. It's, a, it's the only car you're going to get. Had 160,000 miles on it. He said, this is it. Okay. He did the same thing with my brother. He got a truck. And so that that... That was, I mean, those are so fun. Those are those are fond memories right. because those were building blocks of my career. Even then, just looking back, you yeah. know, of, of how do I make a way? Sure. How how do I how do I get from point A to point B? Now, okay, so there's a bunch of stories here as far as your parents. Let's let's mm-hmm. talk about that for mm-hmm. just a second. So, was it a copacetic relationship of like they co-parented well, or do they freaking hate each other's guts? <laughs> how did that go? Because because that says a lot about how we view women. How yeah. we view men and things like that. So tell me about that that dynamic. Yeah, you know, it was more the latter. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we had the landline phones. Oh yeah. A lot of times those phones. Rotary, did you have a rotary phone? We didn't have we we had we had those at our grandparents' yeah, house, sure. but we had more of the, <laughs> yeah. you know, the push button. Yeah. But you know, that phone would be I, I don't know, it must have been uh, extra durable because it, it found its way on the floor, the wall, wow. like it was it was thrown. Sure many times with the cord being the only thing that held it yeah you know in its near proximity to the wall Mm -hmm. so it was it was certainly that and i think that was part of um you know my my drive you know and it wasn't until i got older in my life that i understood how much of an impact that had on my drive Mm. and so much talk has been um you know between this thing called faith and and fear and 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 that you could spend a whole hour talking about that and um, you know, do you live a faith-based life or do you live a fear-based life? And is it okay to be in fear as a Christian? Right. Is it okay to, to wake up and, and be in fear? I mean, we're called to be fearful of God. We are. And, um, you know, or is it, or is it just paranoia for, 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 for fear of failure? Well, what is yeah. that? What does that mean? I mean, God kind of puts that in, in us. Right. Um, so I struggled with that for a long time until yeah. I went to some counseling mm-hmm. and Little did I know that, you know, my childhood was really driving this whole fear-based mentality of, wow. of you know, am I going to have enough? Mm. You know, is this going to be enough? So, so much of it was was a unhealthy fear-based drive. Right. And so, so much so that I overlooked the, the value of the relationships yeah. that were in my life. Wow. So, so through high school, you mentioned travel soccer. Did you – were you – into sports playing sports in high school yeah we played um in high school I played basketball soccer and football as a place kicker so i did place i did kickoff punt and um and place kicking in okay. high school at coffee high school it was coffee bradshaw in florence the yeah. shoals and they just combined you know they combined in 2006 i think it was to become florence high school okay florence middle school so you were there and then you transitioned to sanford so sanford's expensive did you with a teacher mom and electrician dad how did you get to Sanford well I've always been an overachiever which, academically let me translate that all with the, well yes academically okay and and I was always um I always struggled with standardized tests I mean me I was a 23 on the ACT yeah that's a lot higher than I did and and like struggled to get that yeah 
Um, I took the LSAT. I'd give my left arm for a 23. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, um, <laughs> it, it really, you know, it, and it's gotten tougher these days and so many sure. kids beat themselves up, but it's so competitive now. Yeah. I mean, um, but mom always wanted me to go visit Sanford. Um, there was a professor at, at coffee high school who went to Sanford and I went and met with him and he taught all these great things. And, and I was real concerned about it. I mean, all my friends were going to state schools. You know, I had visited yeah, sure. Oxford, Mississippi, and Tuscaloosa, and Auburn, and I, and I kind of knew what that looked like. It was more, you know, public school-like. Correct. And Sanford was, you know, I grew up Southern Baptist, but, hmm. you know, it didn't really feel like the ultimate college experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so I was a little bit against it in the beginning. Okay. And I visited campus, beautiful campus. Wonderful. But that wasn't what really that wasn't my number one. I mean, yeah. I was looking for, am I going to have a good time? You know, what's in it for me? You know, where are the ladies? Like, yeah. you know, and, and so anyway, we visited several college campuses with my 23. I didn't get much of a, a scholarship anywhere else yeah. um, except for Birmingham Southern, but Sanford offered me almost a full ride and they based academically, academic and, lead, and leadership. Okay. And so they looked at all the extracurricular activities that I'd done in high school and, you know, and, and, and I think it took meeting them in person, sure. and um, and it was fantastic. I mean, every year I was there at Sanford, it got better and better. That's great. Um, you know, we're still very active at Sanford at business school yeah. on the advisory board, and, and um, I love meeting with students and helping other people try to figure out their career paths. Right. So growing up, um, from the time I was five, I knew what I wanted to do. Like, there was no question about my path career-wise. Um, obviously, that changed when I got into my 30s. But did you grow up, because you've got the business owner thought process in you, in your soul, go to Sanford, did you walk in the door thinking, this is what I want to do? What, yeah. did you, what did you go there, just, did you go look, looking for chicks and hanging yeah. out and having a good time? Or like, did you think, ah, I think I want to do this? Or t Tell me about that. No, I was driven, you know, I was always driven from not, from the fear of not having enough um, when you say having enough, you mean the fear of not, fear of not having enough money financially? Money financially. Yeah, sure, and I got you. And the freedoms. I mean, like, you know, maybe my parents will listen to this. Maybe they won't. But, um, you know, there were times when I would, and, and I, we weren't like, there were people way, uh, way, sure. way far less fortunate and, and that had less than us. But there were times when I'd go through the, the, the lunch, the lunch cafeteria, and like the lunch lady would say to me, David, if you don't bring your dollar in here, you're not going to be able to eat your lunch. Mm. And I was like $10 behind. It's a dollar, dollar for lunch. Yeah. And that just like broke me. I was like, yeah. wow. That's hard. You know, I was like, then you start, then you start looking at yourself thinking, am I not worth more than a dollar? Mm. I mean, like, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so I was just, I unfortunately, but fortunately thought that money cured more than money cures, you know? And as one guy mentor told me once, and I like this frame of mind for, for money and it's oxygen. If you have oxygen in the room and it's easier to breathe, you can make better decisions. Correct. And I just got to the point where I, I, I wanted to work and have oxygen. So, um, but no, when I went to Sanford, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I dated a girl in high school. Her father was a CPA. Okay. And so we were high school sweethearts. She was two years younger than me. And so I, I graduated and I go, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Sanford. He said, you need to go and go to the business school what do they offer as far as you know career uh and diplomas whatever in your studies and i said they offer business management and they offer accounting he said 
well, we know you need to pick accounting, right? CPA, 25 sure. years. Yeah. And so I went the accounting route. Um, I found it to be boring. Sure. I liked my t professors. I liked my classmates. A lot, the, the things that actually I got most excited about had to do with real estate, vacation okay. homes, secondary homes, rentals, how gotcha. do you treat rentals. And so that, that it started to click and tie. And then when I did the internship with Harbert in the investment real estate side, with multifamily being the specialty, it really, the depreciation, appreciation, cash flow, it just like, boom, yes. So you get done with college, do the internship, and you transition into, this, I guess you get graduated in 2001-ish, something Three. like 2003-ish. So you tra uh, graduate in 2003, and you go right into a multifamily type internship. Internship my junior year of college. Okay. Junior year, I asked to stay on part-time for a year. They say yes graduate may of 03 okay leave that real estate thing because i had a job offer at pricewaterhouse cooper struggled with it like do mm. i take it do i not they offered four positions to the whole senior class and i was one of the four and i took it doing and, and I, just doing audit work oh and and it was like grinding it was like grinding a gear i, I was like cruising in like six gear with plenty of horsepower grinding it down to scratching in a second doing mm. that internship so i did that they put me on um in the attic of tuskegee college that summer price waterhouse 2003 yes oh, gosh. auditing and the air conditioner was out bro the only thing i looked forward to was going to subway and and, <laughs> and thinking about what i was going to get on my subway sandwich for lunch that bad it was that bad did you feel the pressure okay so this is a great question that i think a lot of people out there so our audience is is a pretty broad audience there's 20 something year olds that want to be entrepreneurial and want to own their own business and then there's probably guys like our age in their 40s and 50s that are still trying to figure this thing out hmm. so did you take the job because it was more money out of fear because i gotta pay the bills why did you take that job because you were having so much fun working for harbor yeah, I really wrestled. Well, I didn't have, I wasn't guaranteed the job with Harvard. Okay. So they knew I was leaving and graduating. Mm. And so um, I took the job. I, I remember calling a professor, uh, mentor, Betsy Holloway, Dr. Holloway, who's still at Sanford and she's wonderful. And I remember calling Betsy and saying, what do I do? And she's mm. like, you know, you have worked so hard to get to be one of the four. Because I had a 3.8 GPA, worked hard, long nights in the library, all that kind of stuff. To get this, you need to take it. And, and and if you take it and don't like it, at least you know you took it and you didn't like it. Mm. And I was like, well, isn't that kind of selfish? Because there's like student A, B, C, D, I could name a few, that are just like would love to have this. Like they they dreamed of being an accountant. Like, and I'm sitting in their seat. She's like, it's not selfish. Just sure. take take it, do it. And I did. I didn't like it. Called Harbert. How long did you? How long did you? Did Three you months. <laughs> three months didn't even get to the fall no it was a summer you know it was a summer situation i called and, and the guys at harvard were calling me saying uh you are you ready to talk you ready to mm. talk we knew we knew you'd be we knew this wasn't gonna wow. go over well and so um i re-interviewed yeah with them at harvard they, they were very big into rigorous interview process mm. and um got rehired and i was i was pumped making awesome. forty thousand dollars a year hey plantronics hard not not even the battery pack the yeah. plantronics headset into the computer like just constantly on the phone calling people loved it so let's talk this this is a big question these days is when you graduated from sanford <clears throat> did you have um, student debt 
Yes. How much? I don't remember. Because Sanford's pretty high. It was probably around, you know, twenty thousand oh, dollars. Which in okay. today's dollars, maybe that's you know, fifty. Yeah. So nothing crazy, but still some some. Yeah. Debt. I always had part time jobs that's when great. I was at Sanford. So if I am the, the twenty year old, a twenty five year old, or I'm the, you know, seventeen eighteen year old, still trying to figure out college i always tell people scratch all the itches man i mean i didn't know what i wanted to do yeah the first time i saw a big city was driving to birmingham for the for the circus in birmingham and when i was you know 12 13 years old and seeing the big the big downtown towers and i was like man i wonder what those guys do that sit up in those on those floors and and so Mm -hmm. i started dreaming um but no i mean i i don't know where i was on that on that thought no i was just talking about the debt and oh did you did you did you have any debt? Because a lot of, I mean, I know, I know a guy that's got you know hundred thousand dollars of debt and makes fifty or sixty thousand dollars a year. I'm like, man, the math don't add up. So you take this job, at, you go back to Harvard. Tell me about that transition. So you're on the phone all day long. What are you doing at 22, 23 years old? I'm on the phone. I'm working late. Uh, I've got a great team. I'm learning a whole lot. Well, what um, are you doing? Who are you calling? I, I am. I am calling apartment owners asking them if they would be interested in selling. So this is a branch of Harvard. Harvard, for those of you who don't know, Harvard's a ginormous construction company here in Birmingham. They've got an international division, they've got a domestic division. They, they build stuff. I got a buddy that works there, they build stuff all over the planet. Yeah, so there's two There's two Harvards. There's, there's one is the, you know, the John Harvard side and there's the other side is the Billy Harvard side. Yeah. The Billy Harvard side is more the construction. Yes. They build the embassies and worldwide. And then yeah. the John Harvard side is more of a financial you know, investments platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was more on the John, I was on the John Harvard side. Um, and then, you know, when I started, when I came back, they actually rolled out to start rock, rock apartment advisors. So what was neat about that was the guys who were there at Harvard, they made a deal with Harvard to roll out of Harvard to create their own smaller little firm. And so I got to see a startup happen, which was great. I mean, from marketing to accounting to oh. hires and fires, like, I mean, it was a small team that grew. And now, you know, a lot of those guys I still keep up with, they're, they've all gone on to do some pretty neat stuff. So in the early days of calling and calling and calling, you're calling apartment people that own apartments and say, would you be interested to sell? Is that just something, is that what you did every day? All day long for yeah, how, long? I mean, how long did that happen? Um, I was, see, I was there from 03 to 06. So, I mean, that was kind of my training grounds. Yeah. Um, but you, you know, you would call people and really it was about being relational. I mean, if you just called and you're boring, you know, I call it setting the hook. I mean, you're just yeah. another phone call they hang up. If you're, if, if you call and you, you got something to give, like, here's what's going on in the market right now. Like, how are you doing? What are your rents right now for your two bedrooms? Like, did you know that Jimmy down the street's getting 800? Are you at 650? Seriously? Yeah. yeah. Then th- boom. Then you, you got, got their attention. Yeah, they, and so a lot of the a lot of what I was doing was just kind of meeting people, building relationships, and people would always whenever people would meet me after they after the phone conversation they would say I can't believe you're 22 or 21. <laughs> like I thought you were 30 at least 30. Yeah. But no, then once you had somebody say, well, yeah, I would entertain, and some people would say, well, it's always for sale. Just you know, sure. so then, hey, you, well, yeah. you got you you tell me that I'm gonna be in your driveway. What time yeah. are you? What time are you gonna yeah, be what home? Yeah, time to get off. Yeah, and so that was a door cracked, and we would go open it more, and then open it more, and then all of a sudden we were bringing offers, and then then we're you know, then we're talking to their wives, the real bosses, and <laughs> the, they, real the wives are like, charge. all right, well we'll sell, yeah. you know. 
Um, so, you know, we would do a lot of transactions and uh, I met a lot of friends through that. And of course, you have to underwrite the deals and understand the cash flows. And then go, let's go back to that. When you say underwrite, because there's somebody I hear that term all the time. And when you say underwrite, what are some of our novice people out there that don't know what that term means? What does that mean? Underwrite is just a overglorified term that um, that is it's real basic. I mean, sure. it's it's what's your income? What's your expenses? What's the debt? What's the debt service? You know, yeah. your, your your bank loan, and then what's left over? What's your cash flow? Analyzing does the deal work? Does the deal work? Analyzing does, does it two does plus it work? two equal five. I mean, it's Correct. not it's not it's not chemistry. Yeah, gotcha. It's basic so, math. So oh three to oh six, you're there. Where do you transition after that? So oh three to oh six, um, I transitioned to start the Oakley Group. Oh, so you're twenty twenty four. Going on twenty five. Wow. Yeah, okay. twenty five, January third. And um and I left and started the Oakley group January seventh, two thousand seven. I broke up with my girlfriend. Okay. I started two companies the same day. One was Select My Space Inc. and a playoff of MySpace. Nice. Um and then the Oakley Group Inc., which became, you know, a brokerage company. And the only reason I left my friends at Rock was um leadership was going through a bit of a I'm just going to say a midlife crisis yeah. and it, it just, it got to a point where the splits weren't right. Mm. And that same, um, CPA, uh, father of my high school girlfriend, he was a mentor. My dad was saying, man, you can do this. And I decided to leave and I was cool. scared out of my mind. So you left starting to start the Oakley group and 2007. So what did, when you say start, what did you do? Like, how did you, what did y'all do? Did you start buying stuff? No, we did. We did. I, I did what I knew how to do. And that was broker apartment deals. So okay. I went out and, and created a brokerage firm. And just instead of making a hundred thousand dollars as a, with a, as a salary, I was producing about a million dollars in revenue and getting a hundred in today's that's a 90, 10 split. That's mm -hmm. simple math. In the real estate world and commercial real estate world, splits are, you know, on a bad day for a producer, 50%. I mean, okay. like you, you ought to be making 50, 60, 70%. Once you, a lot of times it's a tiered system. So I was, and I didn't real, I didn't recognize it. I thought I had the best thing in the world. I had a free members, gym membership to the YMCA, mm -hmm. Mountain Brook, and a cell phone and book club. And I had a mentor bring me into his office one day. His name is Tom Hinton, okay. still living, great guy. I hope he listens to this because he had a huge impact on me. And he goes, Oakley, you're worth more than that. I said, what? Okay, let's go back. Let's break this down. So you have a million-dollar apartment complex, good round numbers. You're brokering that deal. Mm -hmm. Talk about what brokering the deal means. Okay. So let's just say you own you own um, a 20-unit apartment community out in Trustful, I got it. Alabama. Yep. I call you when I when I'm brokering. I would call you and say, "Hey Tim, hey, um, you know, have you ever thought about selling this? I mean, the market's red hot right now, and interest rates are all time low. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've got buyers coming in from out west that want to place some capital. One actually has a 1031 exchange. Like they're, they they need to place this before the end of the month. Like this is a great buyer. Right. Um, you would then say, "All right, well, what do you think it's worth? Yeah. And then I'm gonna underwrite." Yep. And tell you, you give me your financial statements, yep. your rent roll. Here's a rent roll. Here's a trolling 12. And I get 12. back to you and I, and I give you what we call a broker opinion of value, okay. a BOV. And that broker opinion value says, hey, Tim, your property's worth, you know, 
X to Y. It's usually a, a range. 900000 to a million dollars. A million to. All right, okay. whatever. And you go, okay, well, if you hit that number, I'll pay you X. And it's usually, you know, 2 to 6% of the, of the sales price. All right. So, in essence, you're like a apartment real estate agent. Yeah. It's all, I mean, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay. I mean, my license... To get my lot, to get my my real estate license is the same as my friend Rebecca's at Realty South, who sells residential homes. Yeah, same license. Okay, so you're trying to find deals for other people. Okay, Tom Hinton comes to you, and on that deal, you're only getting ten percent now. What are you making off that deal? Sell so, it for a so, million. So, so Rock Apartment Advisors had you know four or five producers like me. Okay, and we're all producing. Right, and so my production might have been you know not a call a million dollars and i was getting paid a salary of a hundred thousand dollars okay i wasn't getting any commission okay so if you look at what each individual producer was bringing in versus what the salary was i mean that was a really good deal for the company at the time sure at the same time it was great training grounds and i'm very much appreciative of that opportunity but it wasn't market Gotcha. It wasn't market. So there was. So you were selling these places, but only getting a salary? Yes. Wow. Okay. Mm. Yeah, but it, but we had that good of a culture, yeah. to be honest with you. And you were fine to with where it. you were like, yeah. it, was a great, it was a great family of friends. So you're with Oakley, and you're doing the same thing. Now I was transitioned to Oakley, and that mentor, Tom, sat me down. He said, this is like t- October of 2006, and he says, you need to buy that office building across the street we were sitting on Cobb Lane, right behind yeah. Ocean Restaurant. Yeah, no, exactly. Where it and is. he said, "You need to buy that little one-story building right there across the street, and you need to open your shop and do it yourself and make a hundred percent of a million dollars, right?" And I go, oh, "Man, I don't know if I can do that." Yeah, you can. You're doing it. So I did that. I didn't have any furniture. I, I borrowed uh, Tom's uh, fax machine. Um, Elton Stevens Jr. You know EBSCO. He gave me a big round table to work on because I didn't have any furniture, and I was literally writing my deal flow down on the sheetrock with with sharpies. I didn't go buy the post-it paper. Yeah. I just it just wrote on. And my brother called me one day. He goes, "What are you doing?" I said, "Just come by the office and check this out. Let me show you my pipeline." Well, just email it to me. Said, no, come by. Yeah. You need to see the board. You need to come yeah. over here and see the wall. So he did. But so we brokered, you know, apartments. That was kind of the beginning of the Oakley Group. We brokered, um, not bragging, but it was a goal. Yeah. We made a million dollars. That that was my first million. Was made a million. Was the first year in 07. How many? How much? So in that, did you have to sell ten million? No. Um, how much did you sell? You know, I don't even remember that. I don't remember what the the gross amount of but sales. But you was. you I took was, in a million, like the Oakley Group. The fees were 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 the, right at a million gross dollars. For a million. Okay, so in this in this business, you don't have any assets. You got the humans. What did you do with the million in order to grow the company? Reinvested. Okay, you know, it's another term that everybody hears all. I reinvested back in my company. Yeah, that is a very broad term. Did what did you take the million dollars and do? Well, we bought some furniture. Yep. You know, like we bought some furniture. We we hired we hired people. Hire, human um, capital. I had a um, 2008 Land Rover Discovery. And the shocks were terrible on those things, and the air shocks were blowing out on mm-hmm. them. And I went and got a nice LX470 because I was always in the car with Going driving and, seeing and stuff. People. And know. one thing Tom said to me was like, David, your car is an extension of you and your office. And I'm like, man, 
I was feeling really bad about buying this nice of a car until you said that. I actually tried to take it back to Tom Williams. They said, you can't, we don't take returns. And I was really happy. <laughs> say Walmart. <laughs> I was really happy about it. Yeah. But um, that was, and so I, I, I kind of ramped up my tools and equipment and, sure. and the people and, um, and we just kept selling. So then think about this. So that was the first year in 07. So the first year you guys took in a million dollars. That's incredible. Yeah. And then 08 hit. Oh, God bless you. Okay. But, but hey, it was okay. Like we, we, we still had a pretty good year in 08, 9 and 10 that a million turned into 150 and a hundred. I mean, it was like big cut, but we made it. We made it through. The people that, that made it through that without shutting their doors are the ones that are the long lasting people. And that's, you know, we're, we're going through a little bit of a phase of that right now. And I have a lot of people reaching out, you know, younger, younger professionals, like, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And, you know, When's, when's, so now the, the, the new phrase is, is coined, is, you know, survive the 25. And mm. if we could just make it from now to then. But, that, but see, we practice a more of a thrive mentality, yeah. not a survive. So how do we thrive, you know, right now? I think there's a lot of opportunity now because people don't realize this. With the, people like me. So we own multifamily, too. Mm-hmm. So people like me that own multifamily, you go, you get a loan. It's a 25-year AM, but every five years you have to renegotiate the rate. Yeah. Well, if you get a, got a rate four or five percent three or four years ago, four or five years ago, that rate's fixing to change. Oh yeah. And what happens is, is the the rent roll is fine with a four and a half percent rate. The rent roll is not okay with a seven and a half or eight percent rate. And so, to me, people that have capital should be a good time. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Yeah. Cash is king right now. So, people like you that are in your position, are y'all still actively buying? We now are, are y'all more de- building and developing? We're doing both. Okay. We're doing both. But we just bought a deal in Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Okay. Uh, a little 80-unit deal, smaller. But, you know, it, it has – it was a six-and-a-half cap going in, okay. cap rate going in. Class A, Class B? Class – it was Class A for that area, but uh, generally, na- nationally, Class B. Yeah, sure. Good, clean property. Uh, stays full. Uh, we kept the same staff. Um and those deals are out there, but you know, if you've got capital, I think you're going to start seeing a lot of good opportunities come around. Mm-hmm. And we're, we've been patiently waiting. We have we ha- we bought eleven deals in 2021. We bought zero in 22. Didn't buy anything in 22. Nothing. We bid, but the bid ask gap was you know 20 25 percent because sellers were used to prices being here, yes. and we're underwriting, and we're like, no, it only makes sense here. And so you just had this. Well, a guy, sent, a guy sent me a, a small thing today, and it was four hundred sixty thousand dollars for a rent roll of like three grand. And I yeah. was like, I just sent back, and oh, it's too expensive. Like that's not that doesn't the numbers there don't even work at all. I think people are trying to get out before it quote unquote really gets bad. I don't think it's going to be that bad though, David. Do you, I mean? I don't think it's going to be like 08. No. Uh, I really don't. I think that the banks are in much better shape. Uh, there's more equity on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rules and regulations that came in after 08 have kept people pretty straight and narrow. So I, I don't think it's going to be horrible unless there's some, you know, catastrophic, catastrophic event, you know, headliner, nuclear, or, you know, so, something else that changes, like COVID. Like sure. That changes the climate. Okay, so going back to... You're at a million dollars. You're right around that number. Then you go to 100, 150. When you get into the 09 and 10, where do you? How do you transition there? All right. So, 
Oh, nine and ten. You know, sometimes if you just be patient and be still, sure, doesn't mean you're passive and lazy. It just means you know, sometimes just be persistent. Get up, do your routine, be in the right place. Yeah, and that's what was happening. Mm. I mean, the the guys would come in the office. I had I had um, three other producers. There were four of us. We used to call each other the four horsemen. That's right. And everybody in the real estate business. You know, it was like gloom and doom and like, did you read the paper and, you know, concession here and this and that. And I was like, guys, we are not going to succumb to this negativity. Let's remain positive. It's infectious. So we just stayed on the phones. We stayed positive. We stayed active. And then, boom, one day I got a call from my friend Cole Whitaker at Bercadia out of Orlando and he calls me and goes, Oakley, uh, I heard, you know, I got your name from the guys down at Harbert and we have a, we're bidding to get a listing on 1800 units that Wells Fargo has. They're going to do a write down on it. What's and, a write down? Um, whenever the bank has a deal, let's say they took it back from the borrower at 60 million. They took it back 1800 units back. They took it back because Holy the borrower crap. failed. And this is in 2010. And so that we, they were looking for a, a broker to sell the 1,800 units, mm. which is a big transaction, what, bigger than I've ever, I'd ever been a part of. And and he said, but in your people down the street that you used to work with, they've already CBRE, CB Richard Ellis mm -hmm. has already tagged up with them as a team. I need somebody local. Can I come by and meet with you? So I'm like spraying air freshener, like trying yeah. to like straighten the conference room up. <laughs> the Sharpie off. You know, my aunt Carol is working at the front desk and she's, I was like, is that embarrassing with that big tear in that, in our conference room chair? She's like, honey, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. And so Cole, Cole comes in and, and quasi interviews me and, and then stands up after our little chit chat. He's like, I, I, I can tell right now we want to do this with you. Let's do it. And so we pitched, we did that BOV, like I said, yeah. broker opinion of value. And we won the deal. And so well, 2010, it was like just quiet, nothing happening to winning an 1,800-unit deal. 60 million? What did, what did it go 60 for? 60 million. 60 million. And then I got to relist it Holy about three years crap. later for a lot more than 60, maybe 120. So you take that, okay? And that's just a relationship thing. We talk about it all the time. Luke and I talk about it all the time. But just it's a relation. This business that we're in, no matter what we're in, is relationships. So this, you get the sixty million dollar deal. Where do you transition from there? Because that's a life changing so, deal. So that was a life changing situation. And I'll tell you really quick something pretty cool about that is we we took it out to the market. And here I am, the Oakley Group with you know Bercadia and. And I brought in my buyers, they brought in theirs. And, and, at, and, I, and at the end of the day, we, we had the bid sheet. And there's a guy, there's Urban Magic Johnson uh, Fund yeah. is, has bid on it. And then there's a guy named Frank Bearfield in town with Abbey Residential Local. And we're on the call with about 30 people from Wells Fargo, Wachovia. And they go, who do we pick? And Cole, the senior, who brought me in as a junior local guy. Yeah says we should pick the urban magic johnson fund and i go they go david what do you think i said i think we should pick frank bearfield and cole was like whoa you just want to get like we're, we yeah. should be together on this i said i'm they go well, why do you think that i said because i walked it with frank and he told me if i gave it to him he would close no questions no exceptions no extensions no retrades and i believe him because he had that look in his eye and they were like it just got quiet so they are like 28 or 29. I'm like, no, I'm like, dude, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like 27. Yeah. $60 million. You're going against the guy. I'm going that brings against you. the head guy. 
because you believed it in your heart. Yeah, and the, and the, and so then Wells Fargo, Wachovia, they go, you need to call Frank Cole, and you need to make sure this is what David's feeling is accurate. He told you that, or he told the, the banker said yeah. that to us, yeah. and so we end up calling Frank, and he and he said. You're absolutely right. I'll close. So we ended up picking Frank. Frank closed on time. You picked yeah. Frank over yeah. Magic Johnson. Yes. Yes. Then after we closed, I get a call from the owner of, of Bercadia. Yeah. And um, it was Hendrix and Partners that became Bercadia. And they flew me out to Phoenix and they, they, and they, they wanted to do a, they wanted to buy. It. And I was like, I'm, I'm really not interested in selling the Oakley yeah. group. So, we ended up doing a merger or acquisition, whatever, and it, I didn't get a dime for it, but I, 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 I onboarded with a national firm, which Bercadia is a Berkshire Hathaway company, yeah. which led to a wonderful run from mm-hmm. 2011 through 2020. They bought you or you? I'm, 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 they didn't I'm buy me. I just became a part of their network. Mm, so you still own Oakley Group? I still owned it 100%, okay. but we had splits. They had back office. And I had a national, I had guys all over the country. And so we kind of, you kind of banded together with, you know, people would call me from Phoenix or Seattle or Los Angeles and say, hey, Oakley, I've got guys who want to build something in Montgomery. Or so you, you became a, a, a part of a bigger network. But part of a bigger network because of the relationship with these guys in Phoenix. Correct. That's incredible. It was awesome. All because that one, one relationship. Call. Sitting still. Wow. Which I will tell you that. That relationship at Bercadia helped me see and realize how big of a world it is. Sure. Um, I got to meet Warren Buffett uh, in Omaha, and our team um, became the largest producers. We were number two in 14 and 15 mm-hmm. in the country, and then we became number one in 16. Producers of brokering multifamily deals. Correct, out of any other office in the country, and there were 50 offices. <sighs> In Birmingham, Alabama. That's incredible. So in Birmingham and Alabama, think about it. Yeah. Uh, the cost of gas is cheaper. The cost of real estate is cheaper. So we had to sell more. Mm. Yeah. To get to what my peers in LA or wherever. Yeah. Just so we, we were work. We we had a great team, and um, but and, and it hit me once when we went up for a dinner. Um, we took all of our our big our big buyers and sellers up to meet with Warren. It was a thing that we got to do. It was a, a nice little token of appreciation. And he said to the group, he said, people were asking him questions and advice and all this. And he goes, um, one thing I'll tell you guys is don't sleepwalk through life. And that just really hit me. He's like, don't sleepwalk through life. And at that point in my career, I'd been brokering long enough to where I was kind of getting a little burned out on it. Mm. And I kept... I always wanted to own and buy things. I started buying things on my own account when I was in my 20s. Okay. And I wanted to keep doing more of that. And I got to the point where, you know, I owned about 1,000 to 1,500 units, some with partners, some without, where I was like, man, it would be kind of cool if this is all I did, if I could just grow this portfolio. Like, I love this part of it. Mm-hmm. I love the creative side of owning, right? developing. And at that, that was the moment where Warren Buffett actually talked me without knowing told me to leave like that was my met that was my sign it's like i'm sleepwalking right now just because you're brokering deals that's it i was just kind of ready for the promotion mm. you know when but god you, but you're the owner 
Well, I was the owner of the Oakley Group, but I wanted to be more. If you look at the wealth chain mm-hmm. of a pyramid, yeah, there's property managers, there's, yep. there's service, there's third party vendors, there's property management, yep. then there's equity, yeah, you know, and ownership. I mean, it, it goes like this, and not that this guy's any better than the Janet. Not, none not. of that. But there's it's about time value of money. And with having a family, you know, I, I, I saw that I could make 1% commission on this $100 million sale, or I could make 10% being in the promote stack by acquiring it and doing sponsoring the deal, doing mm. it myself. So it's and like, owning it down the road. And, and owning, owning it, yeah. So at this point, you're buying and selling. So, so what is, you in essence, you said you left. Or what do you guys do now? Like, how did they transition into, quote, unquote, leaving, like Warren Buffett told you to? What did you transition into doing? All buy and hold? Yeah, I mean, Warren didn't tell me. The the subliminal message was like, okay. Make sure we tag him in this video. If you're not uncomfortable, (laughs) here's what I'll tell somebody listening to this. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing enough. Mm. And I was comfortable. I was making good money. Yeah. You know, I had the car I wanted to drive. I had the lake house I wanted. I mean, that was, I really had it good. Um, but I felt like God wanted to use me in a bigger, on a bigger stage. Sure. And that wasn't selfish. It was also, it was almost kind of a little scary. Like God wanted to, when you feel in your heart that God wants to promote you, you just mm-hmm. got to step into it. Right. And I was scared, man. Yeah. I had people tell me like, you're crazy. You've worked this long to build your brand. And now you're going to just give it to the guy that that's, that that's just give it to the guy behind you and go do this other thing. I was like, yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Wow. Um, so now, you know, we, we you know, I, I transitioned and left in 2020. Okay. You know, I had been buying and, and I started my development uh, deal in 2018. So on the side. On the side. So you're running. So if, let me let me backtrack. And that's sure. important because you can do things on the side. You can do both. No as doubt. Long, as long as you have arms, arms length and, and you're not breaking rules and you're being open and honest with your peers, which we did. But it is, it, I see this time and time again. It's okay to have that day job yeah. that's producing income and then feeding your wealth bucket over here, I agree. your wealth totally. engine. Yes. So it's so important to have both. Yes. So you're in, let's go back a little bit. So 16, 15, 16, 17, when you guys yep. are killing it, mm-hmm. you number two, number two, number one, yep. 14, 15, 16. You are just brokering deals, meaning you are the multifamily kingpin real estate agent type person that's right so sell it for a million you get your percentage you're stacking like that okay you go into tw- uh, 20 and so in 18 you started buying in 18 individually i started buying in 2000 and uh let's see 2000 2007 and 8 okay okay i started buying if i met when i made commissions it's like burning a hole in my pocket i would go i would go buy a duplex, uh, a house on, on okay. buy, you know, uh, I would start buying. So you, so I, you I, had been doing multifamily, but you're still buying the small things, the duplexes, the single family homes and things like that. Okay. So leading from 2007 to 2018. I'm buying stuff while also brokering. When I broker and make money, I buy something. Broker, use it. Boom. Buy Just continue. If I ever had any cash, I, I would find something things to, to invest in. Okay. How, how many did you accumulate from seven to 18? Um, let's say seven to 20, yeah. uh, was about 2000 units all over the state or all over the country, mostly in Alabama and in Chattanooga. 
That's so, a lot of units. So David. Chattanooga, um, yeah, Coleman, Athens. Um, Any big multifamilies in there? One big one. Um, our biggest one is called the Union at Cooper Hill. It's it was a, it's on Montclair Road. Yeah. And um, it's 281 units. But other than that, there's just smaller apartment. Um, you know, no, we've got you know we've got you know some that are um, you know 150 units, um, you know 100. So it was. How many of those of those 2,000 did you buy with other people? Well, keep in mind some of those some of those we sold. Yeah, So sure. some of that 2,000 we sold. I would probably say, um, gosh, probably 75 percent of them with okay. other with other people. Different people. Different right. people. Okay, so here's another question I get asked all the time. And when you would so say you and I bought one together, would y'all start an LLC? And then say you and Luke bought one together, would you and Luke start? I mean, how many different business LLCs? LLCs. I, mean, I think we write a check for the state of Alabama one time, or we, you know, for I don't know, fifty LLCs. I mean, every 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 property needs to have its own individual LLC. Right. Wow. Just for, it's just it's a it's a cheap way to insure. It's the yourself. cheapest, safest way to get insurance. Yeah. Um, okay, so in 2020, where did you transition into after you've accumulated 2,000 units? Well, 2,000 units is a lot of people's dream to have that many units overall. So in 2020, where did you transition into doing totally? So so 2020, we made the decision. Heck of a time. Though, to to move. We, <laughs> yeah. we made the decision to leave Bercadia and make and pivot and go all in on the Oakley Group ownership, development, real estate shop no because more no to, more brokering no more brokering okay which was okay. really really interesting to go then meet with my competitors at cushman wakefield and other places because these guys who were my you know in not in not enemies but like you know i mean we all have these egos and you walk past sure. your competitor whether it's at a restaurant or wherever it is you're like you know, I mean, it's a small world and, oh, yeah. and, and we're fighting for the same breadcrumbs. Yeah. And, and it's, it's been fun to see those relationships, you know, once you take the competitive piece out of it, now we're looking to buy from them or sell with them. Yeah. But anyway, we started our first build to rent development in 2018. Okay. Okay. Saw that happening over in the West Coast and in, in Phoenix. And, we, and I said, that's an idea that we need to bring over here to the Southeast. So we were one of the first build to rent developers in the southeast what does that mean build to rent is a coin phrase for horizontal uh, multifamily projects horizontal meaning more one story maybe two story um, more like single family homes that are on one plat with one master water meter with an office leasing agent so it's like building townhomes yeah, I mean, you can call, a lot of the people coin it differently, but hey, it, it's, people hate the word townhomes. But like, it's it's not apartment, apartment, apartment. It is. It's horizontal. It's, it's buildings. It's more horizontal, like that. I and it's you. lower density. So t your typical garden style, meaning three story, four story apartment community, is going to be eighteen to twenty four units per acre. Okay. So our developments are more in the range of uh, eight to to fourteen units per acre. Gotcha. So we're, we're lower density, less impact. Um, more expensive on rent, though. We are more expensive on rent. We, Just simply because it's a better better value, a better experience. That's what we aim for. That's what we aim for. So we started that, we started that again while I was at Bercadia. I mean, you know, again, oh, because you're doing, I'm, doing still si the, I'm still You're doing all over the country. So you say, I, you see this, hey, they were doing this. We need to bring this back bring to back. Birmingham or the southeast and do it there. Yeah, so we found a site. 
in Huntsville. Okay. I know nothing about development. Not nothing. Okay, great. And I go, but I, I think this will work. So uh, I'm going, all right, well, what do I do next? The next thing you do is you go find your canvas. Okay. okay. Where, where, where can this go? Well, Huntsville. Huntsville is just, think about Huntsville in 2018. Oh, I know. 17, 18. Yeah. Just starting to get the momentum. Starting to okay. Go. So I go find 60 acres up there and we, we bid on it. We get it. Sanford alumni who gave it to me. She goes, David, I've got four or five people looking at this site, but we're going to pick you because you know why? Because I went to the school called Howard college. That's now Sanford university. Wow. We're going to give you the opportunity. And I was up front with her. I was like, I have never developed anything before. This is what I want to do. Yeah. This is the team that I put together. I, this is going to be a great learning experience for me. But we want to do something special here. And we would love that. We'd love the opportunity. And we got it. So we built 276 units. We started those in um, 18, 19. All horizontal. All horizontal. Okay. It's called the Cottages of Old Monrovia. If you Google it, just type in the Cottages of Old Monrovia. And you'll see this one and two story, you know, single family townhome development with, um, you know, streets and alleys and pocket parks and sidewalks, uh, 276 units on 26 acres. It's beautiful. And we built that and we, um, and then we, we sold that in, in April of 2022. So if you do this, how many different models do you have? So I'm looking at this thing on the Google and how many different homes because that's what they are they're beautiful homes how many different homes how are many there? different floor plans yeah um that one has about eight different floor plans okay so it's just eight four floor plans it it is track homes i hope that's not a negative term it is track it homes. Is. it's not track homes. yeah if the architect hears that he'll, he'll yeah he'll, he'll kill he'll me slap your wrist take that out <laughs> so it's um it's homes that have eight different floor plans and they reproduce those floor plans but you do this with the whole intention of renting them absolutely um why would you not sell these and, okay and go ahead, answer that why would you not sell these all right well i'm biased to to rental product um for a number of reasons but um i got to give a lot of credit to niquette architecture my friend lewis niquette i think that he's a master of of site layouts and just design and this so this has this has a, a, a feel like 30A, your, it your, does. your new urbanism kind of layout. And so the layout is, is equally as important. The site plan is equally as important to me as, as, it, as are the finishes and the layout of the, of the actual homes. And so that's where Lewis and his team have done just a great job. Is, so we, we've built this to feel like a 1950s neighborhood where people ride their bikes, there's dogs, you feel safe, people know their neighbors. Um, and so why would people rent versus, uh, why, why would I build this to rent it versus own? Well, most of these renters are, are renters by choice. Mm. They don't have to live there. They have fixed incomes. They've got good jobs, but they're choosing to rent. There's a big difference. Some people have, have to, to rent. Doesn't make that person, um, less valued as the person who makes more money, but like people, we want to, we want to target people who choose to rent because they of their lifestyle maybe their grandparent we call those baby chasers they're chasing their grandkids they nice. may they may baby have a, have a place in town because they want to spend more time with their grandkids yeah. they don't want to buy a house in a, sure. in a secondary location but from a development standpoint so when we finished this product they were we sold them for three hundred thirty thousand dollars a unit and these average about 1200 square feet each so if i'm a home builder and i build all of these 
typically I'm not building 276 at one time. I'm going to do right. 20 then another 20. And so I get the benefit of selling all 276 at one time for one number, 330 a door. Whenever uh, are renting them, but I sold them to one buyer is what I'm getting at. If I were to build these as a home builder, I don't want to deal with the punch list. No. If the, if the foundation just so happened to slip or slide and, and I don't want the lawsuit, Right, you know that's just you know it's it, it's it's something that home builders talk about a lot. Yeah, they, they you talk to anybody and it, it's it's just hard when you're dealing with emotional homeowners, which we mm-hmm. we I I'm one. I me too. And if it's not perfect, then I'm gonna you're Get gonna Johnny hear about back, it. Right, back out there. Yeah, and so you do that times 276 units. I'd much rather rent rent to people and they enjoy it. They know it's not permanent. And, and then sell it to an investment stake buyer who values it actually more than what the home's worth. So how, okay, so this is a great question because I thought you were owning these and then had a management group that rents them. So you don't do that. We, now, bi- we build these and, and we lease these and we manage these. Okay? But you just said you sold them. We sold that first. Okay. We sold the first one. So you one. do both. Or are you you buy develop and then sell and then develop then keep you you kind of a combination right. of both. So the first one, the first partner that I had in this deal was Capstone Building. Okay. And and they are more merchant builders. A merchant builder is a is a developer who builds it to sell it. Okay. Okay. My partner on the programmatic, um, Advenir Oakley is our is our um, joint venture partnership. Advenir Oakley Capital and Development. We have a build-to-rent platform, and our goal is to build 10,000 rental units by 2028. Mm. And we've got 1,500 under construction currently, and we've got a pipeline of another 5,000. Our platform with the Leo brand, which I'll get into in just a moment, um, is, is an aggregation platform. It is, let's, let's go build these and and hold them mm. and then and then let's look at an exit in eight to ten years okay with ten thousand units exit with the 10k right ten thousand sell units. them to some big state street starwood or black Blackstone or black, exactly yeah. i mean that's the plan and so what we want the, the goal again going back to why do i do this yeah you know what is, what's the purpose it's not just to you know make a bunch of money and buy a bigger boat mm-hmm. i'm fine with my you like the boat you got. I like my 23-foot Bennington. It's That's fine. Right. You know, it gets me where I'm going. That's right. Um, but we, we created this brand, you know, back in 2020, 21. Uh, we, we branded it Leo. Okay. It means love each other. Hmm. Because, as you recall, back in 1920, when we, when we, were, we were entertaining, you know, brands and logos and ideas for, our, for, for the, the brand for our Build-to-Rent platform, the country was divided people were fighting over which news station we should watch. Yeah. I mean, it was just a debacle. And, we, and and I was going, where where is let's get back to the basics. Like, what happened to love your neighbor? Mm, yeah. So, that's where Leo was. So, born. what does Leo brand do now? What is it what does it do? Like, what how does it function? So, whenever you move into one of our communities, okay. Uh, our build to rent communities, it's it's going to be Leo at Jamestown or Leo at Flint Crossing or Leo. Uh, and so that Leo is is emphasized by um you know first service from our maintenance people from our staff that you're going to be loved on we're not gonna 
you know, we're not going to throw you into a, a Bible study, but we're going to love you. We're going to help. We're going to help you. <laughs> we're not going to beat you with the Bible. We're going to find, yeah. find the, the dry cleaner in town, the, okay. the, the, the best schools, the get you plugged in. Yeah. We also partner with a, with a group called apartment life, which is a Christian organization that plants couples on site okay. in a home. And they basically act as, you know, event planners and mm. community builders and so there's a wind down Wednesday. There's That's a yoga huge on Saturday. Asset. And so, you know, if, if someone's family member, you know, if there's a, you know, if someone passes away in your family or someone's in a tragic situation or someone's just depressed, just needs a, hey, you want to go to the movies and hang out? I mean, that's part of the infrastructure in all of our LEO Now, are these units, with any of the LEO units, are they targeted to Old people, young people, Gen Z. What, what is there? Is there a target on these things? That's a really good question. Um, so we, um, we, there's been studies done by a number of people, and we call it the barbell effect. Okay. So to answer your question, we have more of the younger um, millennials, Gen Z, newlyweds, maybe small small kids, but not in grade school yeah. yet. And then we have less of the. I've got three kids in middle of high school. Our our demographic and, me or you is not living there right okay um and then we've got and we might i mean we might have some of those but yeah. it's not heavy and then on this right side is the you know 55 and older empty nesters empty nesters gotcha. fixed income baby chasers um i don't want to deal with electricians and plumbers and yard maintenance kind of you know age bracket those types of people so tell me this tell me um all the business things, and I could honestly, I could probably ask forty-seven more questions about the business part of it. So during this transition, tell me about family, because the whole point of us sitting talking is like mm -hmm. the the number the amount of success you have is pretty astronomical, two thousand units, and then the number of units ten thousand units by twenty. I think it's said twenty twenty-eight. That's crazy. Tell me about your wife. Tell me about your family. Tell me about your kid. I mean, give me a, give me a synopsis of of when you go home. Who are you there? I'm daddy when I get home. That's right. I love it. I mean. Um you know, um, I, uh, I love, I love being a dad, you know, um, I, I wanted kids really bad and, um, I, I don't know how much you know about me, but, um, this is my second marriage. Okay. And, um, and I, and I, I didn't have any kids in my first marriage. I mm -hmm. really wanted kids. Yeah. And, um, and so being able to have kids with with a girl from my hometown mm. uh, from florence is phenomenal we've got a, a four-year-old son named ryan um a two-year-old girl lita who's um like watching two people she's she's got a lot of energy and then and then my third is six months nolan uh wow. boy but i love it i mean it, it you know when you have kids it just reframes everything yeah. and um and i think i think i became um a more relationship person just having kids i mean when, when i'd have conversations with other people and they were talking about their kids before i had kids it's like it just kind of rolls off it's kind of like okay whatever i mean so sure so what they're back in school okay great now let's talk about the deal yeah. you know but now it's like you just really relate to other people in so many on so many more levels um so something that i always wanted and and i love it and, and, and moving out of the brokerage space was intentional because it was so demanding. I mean, when you're a broker, mm. you have to be on, if you want to be competitive, you have to be on all the time. Right. Emails, ch you know, text. I mean, it's a speed game. And, it, and it's, 
it's fast paced and it'll burn you out. Yeah. I tell people this, you can't explain to a, an adult, a married couple that doesn't have kids until they have kids because it's like when that human comes out, you put a new set of glasses on Yeah. and you view life through a totally different lens because you're right. Before I had kids, I could probably give two flying craps that your kid went back to school yesterday. Right. But now I want to know where your oldest goes to school. Like, where's he going to school? Is he at Mount Brooks? Is he at Best State? Where's he going to school? IPC. Okay. Goes to IPC. State what's, school. What's he into? Like, is he, is he in a the, sports in, kid? Yeah. Is he a gamer? Is he a, into, you know, what, what's he into? Yeah, he's into Transformers right now. That's right. You know, dinosaurs, Transformers. So dinosaurs. So, yeah. like, I can sit here and tell you 47 dinosaur stories about how Tegan – that's all he ever did from the time he was like three to the time he's like seven. The sucker all he wanted to do is he knew every dinosaur. Oh, yeah. Like, blow your way. Blow your mind. Yeah. He'll say a, a so and so saurus. And I'm like, that's not even a dinosaur, bro. He's like, oh, yeah, it is. And he starts going. So those things are fascinating. Yeah. But you can't explain that to someone that doesn't have it. Doesn't make us any better. It's just a, it's just a commonality that we have. Yeah. And I've got friends who choose not to have kids, and that's and there's nothing wrong with that. Sure, um, it's just God puts different desires and wants in all of us, and I mean it's something that I wanted from a very early age, and it's just I just get just I I, I just I, I can have the worst day ever, and 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 I think about I get you know they said what they say you can't be stressed and grateful at the same time. Mm, that's great. So let's start by being grateful, and I mean when yeah. I think about just what gifts children are and Mallory is phenomenal. She's my wife yeah. and she's, she's a chemical engineer. She worked at Southern company. She's smarter than, you know, she, she's one of those who scored. Oh yeah. You know, we envied her score. You and know? She, she's a 30 something. Yeah. Yeah. And she worked in Boston and Houston and, and, and she's now, um, you know, stay at home mom. And, and that was a big transition move for her, but she's a wonderful mom. She's, she's, she's a wonderful cook. She's a great artist. That's great. Support supports us and our business, and you know she's a wonderful mother. Um, so it's it's been I, I I got promoted. God continues to promote us um, dis, despite deserving any of it, mm. and it's just it's been it's been a good ride. Talk about go, being home, going home. You get home and you do all the things that you do during the day. Do you and Mallory talk about those things? Do y'all like sit and discuss? The deal or not the deal or this went bad or that went great. Do y'all discuss that? We did. Does she ask or do you just go home and unload? Um, Well, sometimes the kids, a lot of times the kids um, take the air out of the room. So there's not a lot of air left to talk. No doubt. And then we're kind of in that stage right now where we're just, we're tired and like we might just be so tired. So we have intentional date nights and we fail a lot of of weeks. But Thursday nights we try to go out and have dinner, you know, we love, you know, sitting at the bar, sliding into Bottega yeah. or Bottega. You go, are you going out this Thursday night? Uh, this Thursday night I'm in Dallas. Oh, uh, okay. We're going out Thursday night. We could double date. Well, we can rain check it. Sure. Um, absolutely. But, but Thursday night's usually our night. That's and, good. And that's when we really download. Like, how, what are you mm-hmm. doing? How are you doing? What, 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 we, what should we say less in front of the kids and more of in front of yeah. the kids? Um, and, that, and that's our time. But, but at home, you know, if there's something hot, you know, Real estate can get sideways. There's sure, there's a lot quick. of things that I come home with, and I'm one of those guys who, if you can't tell, I'm gonna tell you what I'm thinking. That's great. Yeah, and I'm gonna share. Some people don't appreciate share. that. Like I'm the, I'm that way. I typically tell you what's going on, and 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 I some people are our best friends, and some people don't. 
particularly care to be around us. Yeah. But I'm I mean, totally, like today. I'm totally fine with that. Like today, this morning, I was brushing my teeth and I go, honey, I'm just letting you know, today is a, is a big day. It's going to be a stressful day today. I got some stuff. She goes, well, what's going on? I said, we got a deal that a landowner that we're going to, I've got to, I've got to tell the landowners that their property is not worth $12 million anymore. It's worth seven. Oh, and we're under contract with them. And, but with the 10 year treasury moving to 4.2 today, 420 and with banks and equity shrinking up like they have, the deal doesn't work. Yeah. And so we either gonna, so you, you gotta just, it's tough love. I mean, you, I hate, I hated to tell that message, but, but I told like, that's an example of me dropping that to Mallory, just so she knows like, Hey, Hey babe, like, if this you is what, text I'm, me this today, is what I'm dealing with. Like I'm dealing with just after two o'clock, I'll, I'll be like, I get this podcast yeah. and, and I'll be chill after that, you know, when yeah. I get, but that's my big, big item for the, for the day. That's awesome. Hey, as we wrap up, I got fast questions for you. Cause I mean, we're, we're running out of time, but I would love to figure out how to do more of this. Cause you're extremely intriguing. So let's talk about the kids real quick. Mm-hmm. What's your, and, and on these next four or five questions, I want just super Sure. Fast thoughts. So what's your go-to activity with your kids? The park. Park. Perfect. That's great. We like going to the park. Yep. We drive, we ride bikes a lot too. Do you, are you on social media at all? I am Instagram and LinkedIn. I have not been on Twitter. Who is your favorite follow on social media? Someone that you enjoy seeing when they pop up in your feed? Um, I'm going to say, um, I like looking at Niquette architecture and design because he, 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 I wanted to be an architect as a kid. And sure. he, he has some, just cranks out some great stuff. Perfect. That's great. Um, what are you learning right now? Like, what are you like, you're being intentional of, I want to learn this. How to be a, how to be a, um, a better dad. How, you know, I mean, we're, we're in those real critical years, we you are. know, where a four year old, gosh, he, he listens to everything. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's, that's new. Yeah. I mean, you know, two's different than four. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm learning, we do a small group for parenting and I, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, it's time for me to step up my parenting game. There you more. go. That's great. So I'm challenging myself in readings. Yeah. More. What's your favorite vacation that you've ever taken? I'm going to say Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I know that's not glamorous, but like I, there's, especially with it being so hot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, taking, the whole family out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming this past summer for 10 days was just, um, we had several moments where the sun bleeding through those aspen leaves and my kids and, and family sitting on a blanket just with, with the Rockies in the back, just, it was just unbelievable. It just had some moments like that. Just That's priceless. Great. That's great. Last question. What's the, your favorite vacation that you've never taken? Italy with my wife. Just you and her. Just the two of us. That's wonderful. Good. Um, well, look, as we wrap up, where can someone get in touch with you if they wanted to ask questions? There may be someone out there that's got a deal. I don't know. Where, where's the best place to find David Oakley? Uh, best place to reach me is uh, our website. Okay. I go to oakleygroup.com. Got it. And then click on contact, and Perfect. it shoots an email to me. And then uh, on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Okay, great. Um, you'll see me there, David Oakley. Um, and please reach out. I check that probably once a week. The messages on LinkedIn. Yeah, um, I'm not going to give you my email yet don't because do I don't know how big your audience is. That's fine. Don't do it. <laughs> they go to Oakley Group. They want to find you. They'll get you. So perfect. Hey, David. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. It's been great. Awesome. Thanks All for right. having me. It's you been got a it. pleasure. You good?